This is Paul Nobles with the Eat Form Podcast, and uh, once again this week, I am all alone. Most of the Eat Form staff is at the Arnold. Um, Brad is in some cave somewhere in northern Canada, so you guys deal with me. So I thought it'd be kind of a fun day to uh, deal with a metaphor that I think is helpful for a lot of people in understanding how their metabolism works and ultimately how fat loss works. Um, but I'm going to start off with a few ideas. Uh, we started the building blocks classes. We initially thought that we would charge for those classes slash meetings. Um, but we've kind of decided that in its current state, we're going to keep it uh, free of charge. And then, you know, anyone can, can join those or, or listen to the recordings because we just... Honestly, the biggest reason is that we just thought that this information is really so so helpful to people. It just gives us a chance to deep dive specific topics, and I think uh, we're going to have some some pretty fun guests. Uh, we're going to add actually Lisa Hoffman to the panel, which is the registered dietitian for Eat Reform. So um, look for that because it's going to be pretty cool stuff. Um. In addition to that, we are looking to add an Eat to Perform Buddy program. I'll get to that a little bit more specific for members later on down the road, but we're probably looking at maybe a month away. You know, it's not quite, you know, the intensive coaching, but it's really more to have someone that can help guide you through the process. They would be Eat to Perform certified. Uh, you know, they would be one of our main review people. They just wouldn't be one of the, the senior coaches necessarily. But, uh, you know, I think that that's something to look out for if you feel like, uh, you know, having a little bit more attention might be helpful for you. So before I get into the the topic of the day, uh, there, was a, there was something that came up and I was going to make a post on it. But I decided that the podcast would be the best place for it. And so I posted something earlier in the week because I was interested to see people's responses to weighted blankets. And if you're not familiar with weighted blankets, uh, they're supposed to help you with your sleep. Uh, apparently, that that was where I started my focus. I didn't really think of it from the standpoint of all the things that I found out later. And what I found out later is that they're used a lot uh, to help people with anxiety that have restless leg syndrome and all these different things. And in my research, you know, I got a lot of feedback online, which was really good. Um, and a lot of people that, you know, were therapists and psychologists, you know, they really talked about how they're used in treatment. And so, uh, you know, I, I actually posted about this online. I don't think she would have any problem with me saying this. Well, I know she wouldn't because I asked her about it. But my daughter has actually struggled with anxiety. And so when these therapists started to chime in, I asked her, I was like, hey, have you ever heard of weighted blankets? Um, and I mean, her face lit up. And so then I knew that I was not going to be the one getting the weighted blanket that she was. And it was funny because she knew the whole therapy angle and things like this. So she 
you know, has dealt with anxiety issues since, since roughly fourth grade. Uh, she actually goes to a one-on-one -on -one school and uh, it's outside of the district, which is kind of ironic because the school that she goes to is probably about 10 to 15 miles from where we live. And my other daughter goes to the high school, which is literally walking distance from my house. So, um, but she has been there for four years and, you know, she's, she's gone through therapy and all these different things. And so I felt like I, that all that needed to be said so I can then tell you her response to having it for a couple days because she did have, she was having some, some anxious moments and, uh, this is, you know, we've, we've dealt with this many years, you know, um, and, uh, you know, we've got a kind of a process of how that works, but in the time since those moments, she got the blanket and what she said about the blanket, this was actually today, this was her third day with the blanket and every day that she's had the blanket, she has slept slightly better. And if you've ever had trouble sleeping, um, you know that's sort of how it works, right? Like the the first day, um, you you might get things a little bit better, but you know it, it sometimes takes a couple days before things start to normalize. But what she said, I thought, was really insightful and and showed how far she has come in the way that she processes these thoughts. And what she said was that. She thinks that the blanket is really good and she's really happy to have it and is a big contributor. But what she said was that it's sort of like a filter. Like once you know you have that in place, then you start to look at some other things. And, and one of the things that she was kind of noticing was that she was getting hungry, you know, before bed and that was keeping her up. And so the last couple nights, she started snacking. Now, you know, this is actually something that comes up in eating form a lot. These are tricky conversations to have with your teenage daughter. And even though I'm the eat to perform guy, I'm very sensitive to eating disorder issues and things of that nature. So, you know, I let my daughters tend to work through these things themselves. And then if I have anything to contribute, I will, but I think most people respond better to figuring things out themselves rather than being told, right? And and I would say that that's the base for you to form, right? We we kind of want to bring you guys along. That's a little bit what this podcast is about, is to walk you through all the different things that, you know, if you understood it a little bit better, you would understand, you know, why it works that way. And so, you know, when you are under eating, as an example, and, and she's actually someone that's very conscious about eating enough food, um, but she wasn't really accounting for that additional stress. And then if you've ever, you know, had sleep issues, you realize that there's a lot of additional hunger that will come up with that. And so she started adding a little meal and actually, the the last night when she slept her best, 
um, and actually worked, woke up from her alarm, which she always struggles to do, was the night that she was the most diligent about having a meal before bedtime. So if you think about that, and, and this was, I can't remember Jocko Willenick's book for, for anything, but it's sort of the, the discipline equals freedom idea that once you kind of filter out a few things, it kind of makes other things a little bit more clear. And, and um, you know, we talk about this a lot where, you know, when you can start to prioritize things within chaos and then just start to deal with them one by one by one, the next thing becomes obvious. But if you don't address the first thing, like in this case, the first thing being her having this blanket, then it doesn't necessarily point you to that an additional meal might be something that would, would help with sleep, right? And then there might be three or four other things that she discovers in that process. So, um, and it's that trial and error that I think leads people, you know, kind of getting back to, to dieting land, it is to more extreme options, you know? Like it's a lot easier, as an example, getting back to sleep, to take a five milligram you know, melatonin than to realize the source of your sleep issues, right? And, um, but when you solve those things, and the problem that, you know, if anybody's ever, you know, um, you know, had any level of therapy or anything like that, you realize that it, it's not, there's never a hundred percent, right? You're never going to be a hundred percent perfect at any of it. It's all about degrees and working in a much better direction. So um, hopefully that helps her. And, and you know, obviously when you're not sleeping, you know, not only does it affect your hunger, but it affects your mood and it affects a, a lot of different things and could be a contributor to some of the issues that she's having. But, but at the end of the day, you know, where my daughter started to where she is today and for her to say that to me, was just really impressive in how much, you know, all of the things that, you know, we work for. Like one of the people that responded to the thread was talking about their child and that their child was starting therapy next week. And they really hoped that that was the thing that, that fixes everything, right? They didn't say it like that, but... But that was kind of what they said. And if you walk into that with the thought process of 100% cured, right, um, that's not how it works. You know, and, and you just have to work with degrees of casually getting better or gradually getting better. So kind of keep that in mind as you, you walk through those types of things. And, and like I said, I mean, there's a very direct correlation to dieting. Um, in a post this week, I talked about that the goal really needs to be progress and, and not perfection. And in fact, perfection is the opposite of what real progress looks like. Because I think there's a lot of people that think if I was 20 pounds less than this, I would be happy, right? And that's not how, how happiness works. And I feel like there's a lot of 
information and a lot of a lot of you know we put out the the diet video i don't know if you guys saw that but you know it was a parody of of you know these diets and instead of the bachelor right or bachelorette these people would be being paired up with their their diet for life right and you know there was all these different weight watchers and slim fast and, and ketogenic dieting and, and all this other stuff and it was just hilarious watching it and and just how and then the instead of a rose they gave out a golden bikini um if you haven't seen it go check out the main page it is hilarious on so many levels um but but really i think that a lot of people don't really even know what perfection looks like and so a little bit of the next discussion that i'm going to have so that'll be kind of the transition so i wanted to talk about you know metabolism and fat loss and kind of walk everyone through you know the egp method and and why it's so effective because right now we have so many people that are in method three which is basically the second fat loss stage and those people are seeing so much success. I mean, the graphs that these people are seeing is just absurd. And so I want to walk you guys through the methods kind of simply. Hopefully it won't take too long. Um, and then just kind of use the metaphor. And the metaphor I'm going to use is a bank, right? And so... When you come to eat to perform, as an example, you may think, well, my bank is too full, you know, and I need you to help me because I've got so many calories that I need to deal with that I need some of these calories and, and you know, ultimately um, excess fat that I want to be rid of, right? And, and then you have other folks that come to us and thinking that their bank account is empty that they don't have any money to contribute but they actually do start with a little bit of a deposit coming into eat to perform they just don't have the excess that the other people might be having so we're going to walk through a little bit of how people come in and what we do how we do it and why the process kind of needs to be the same for really everyone you know the problem with the way that most places do it right so you go to an online calculator and the online calculator is that if you want to do this or if you want to lose three pounds then eat this the problem is that online calculator is assuming based on what is referred to as your total daily energy expenditure and your total daily energy expenditure you know there's actually three well-known methods and i can't name them off the I know there's the catch McCardle. Um, I I can't name them off the top of my head, but uh, if if I get a chance, I'll maybe add it in the notes of this podcast. But virtually every um, every calculator is working off of the total daily energy expenditure for your height, weight, and you know, and your um, sex. And so when that calculator says, if you eat this, you will lose three pounds a week, you know, 
I mean, most people don't choose the more gradual approach, but that calculator has no idea what you're really eating. And so if the calculator is assuming, you know, based on your total daily energy expenditure that you're eating 2,700 calories at, let's say, a 5'9 female, that's 182 pounds, but you're actually eating 1,400 calories, then you're going to be very frustrated real quickly because the calculator told you that you were going to lose three pounds and you didn't, right? Because the calculator does not know that you've already withdrawn, right? This is the metaphor with a bank. You've already made the withdrawal. You made a 1,500 calorie withdrawal, but you don't really have the funds, so, so you kind of have insufficient funds, and so you're not going to end up with the level of deficit that you might want. Now, you might actually lose you know, half a pound, maybe a pound. You actually might lose three pounds initially of water weight, things of that nature, but it's not going to be sustainable. So what we do that is different and it's better than anything out there. I've not seen anything close to what we do. Is we start you guys off with a baseline. And from that baseline, if you were, you know, eating an excessive amount of calories, then you will of course be into a deficit and a lot of those people do see really good results. But what's interesting is that a lot of the undereaters are actually holding on to water as it relates to a stress response and they've got excessive amounts of cortisol. One of the interesting things about cortisol that a lot of people don't know is that two things favorable for cortisol release is calories and carbohydrates, right? Because there's a, a direct relationship between high levels of, of cortisol and low levels of insulin. So when insulin is present, cortisol takes a back seat. So that's something interesting to know because what ends up happening, let's say you know, we have people that come to us and they're eating 800 calories and we move them to the baseline, calorie, baseline plan, which might be close to double what they're eating now and they end up losing kind of the same water weight that the other people did, right? Because they're holding water for, for different reasons. Um, the other thing too, when you're eating a relatively low amount of food, what ends up happening is that you're over-reliant on, on fats. And contrary to popular belief, fats actually store, store as fat easier than carbohydrates. Now, of course, you know, when you have carbohydrates present with fats, that can be a little bit of a problem when you're eating excessively. But most people really don't know what excessive is, right? And they don't really know what maintenance is. And I'll, I'll kind of get to that in kind of the, the reversing phase because that's a big piece that most of you guys listening to this have been tripping on most of your life. And once you hear it, it'll start to make a little bit more sense, right? So whether you, you were under eating or whether you're overeating, moving to a more correct place shows some benefit, right? And so, you know, I, I don't want to go 
too deep into the metaphor, but it's going to show interest and it's going to show progress. And usually you're going to see um, some layer of, of weight loss and almost certainly some level of fat loss. Like for instance, if you were over-reliant, <laughs> people hate it when I do this, but you know, as I'm talking to you guys, I'm thinking of all these case scenarios that are interesting. So we had one gal who at some point, at one point, um, you know, she was doing, um, you know, the, the butter in her coffee thing. And when I broke down her calories, the butter in her coffee, as I recall, was, was roughly 70% of her calories, right? And when we body fat tested her, she body fat tested at, at 45%. And so what, what I did was, is I just brought more balance to the equation. It's kind of funny because that diet video that I talked about earlier, at the end, um, they kind of jokingly introduced balance where the person's having wine and eating a wide variety of foods. Um, and that, that does probably represent eat to form better. But I would say that she lost 15% of, of bodily fat faster than anyone I'd ever seen. And the reason why is because once she started bringing insulin back into the equation, her muscles started to fill up. They were depleted, right? It was sending a signal. She let, you know, a lot of water gone. You know, there wasn't, it, it was interesting because, it, you know, she did lose weight and she, she lost a lot of weight. But when you looked at the fat that she lost compared to the weight that she lost, it was, it was like more extreme. So as, as I recall, this was a few years back, but she lost something like 20 pounds. And realistically, it was almost like, you know, she had lost, 35 pounds because her muscles filled up and now her workouts were just feeling great and, and all these different things, right? And so when you're coming from an under-eating background, part of being lean, right? Think about most of the people that are that are under-eating. They're all some re relative version of lean, but to get to that next level, you're going to need your muscles to pop and muscles pop when they're full, when you're able to exercise at 100%. This is why, you know, when you look at studies, most studies will show that there's really no benefit, you know, to low carb versus carbohydrates when viewed, you know, similarly. The, the, the only benefit that I would argue sides towards the carbohydrate piece is the 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 advantage as it relates to work capacity. So if you're working out, specifically if you're you know doing resistance training, but but even in the case of, of cardio, you're gonna hold on to more muscle. So that's a little bit of the metaphor, right? That's like that's a carryover the metaphor that you know even in the case of you know adding more muscle similar to the example that I talked about um that that's not fat anymore, right? So you've replaced, you know, lean mass with, you know, that used to be fat. So so that's advantageous, right? So the baseline plan is sort of 
interesting because it's not the end game for everyone. It really is, like I said, you're just opening up your bank account. The real magic happens when you start to make deposits, right? And those deposits can be any number of things. And so if you were inactive, you know, a deposit might be walking. You know, one of the things that always troubles me that I don't hear enough about in the health and fitness industry is that, and we'll go into a little bit more of this in depth as we, as we go a little bit further, but literally just walking around the block when you don't normally do that is a very positive thing as it relates to health and fitness. You know, as I started to get healthy, you know, it didn't really start from the standpoint of, you know, beast mode. It wouldn't have looked very beast mode to most people. You know, you 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 work up to beast mode, right? And I think what happens for a lot of people in trying to make these deposits, right? They're trying to make deposits and withdrawals at the same time. And, and they probably would just be better off using a more balanced approach and, you know, keeping some energy so they can they can have workouts that that are actually positive but you know what you don't really want to do is kind of burn the candle at both ends that's why you see people that start and then two weeks in they're frustrated because you know they haven't seen the you know scale drop 40 pounds you know um and th there is a lot of research i actually made a post about that where you know unfit people you'll struggle as it relates to the mental approach, because fit fit people, you know, when they've studied this, you know, see finish lines a lot closer, you know, and if you think about it rationally, if you're a 300 pound male, you know, and your ideal body weight, you know, might be, you know, 200 pounds as a 5'11 male, you know, that finish line is going to seem very far away, which is why you know, when we created Eat Perform, we really started to focus on, you know, small achievable goals where you can sort of rinse and repeat things. And so that's that's where we go. So the basic first stage, whether whether you come in, you know, fat loss, whether it's performance, you're going to get a baseline plan that is really going it's not an all-in approach, it's not starve you as fast as possible. Um, but it's going to allow you to have a little bit of balance and whether you are an under eater or an overeater, it's going to be positive for you and you're going to make deposits. So to finish that phase, you know, deposits look like walking around the, the block for some people, for some people that are a little bit more advanced, it might be weightlifting for some people it's CrossFit, you know, um, so all of those things end up being very positive. The second stage, which is sort of interesting because you know, a lot of the new people are often confused by this, right? So the first stage of method one, you know, they end up getting breadcrumbs and those those breadcrumbs are the ETM breadcrumbs. You know, that's a little inside, you know, um, inside school information. If you're an E4 member, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, just know that when you're in a fat loss cycle, you get ETM breadcrumbs, which is the form method breadcrumbs. Um, 
In the second method of each perform, you have adaptation prevention. And what adaptation prevention does is it's a mini reverse. And there's a lot of reasons for this to happen. Um, so, so let me just backtrack for just a second. The first stage is 24 days. It's not 26 days. It's not 22 days. It's 24 days. And it's 24 days for a reason because you get two reviews and basically it's going to take you through um, three cycles of that. So you get two reviews every eight days. And so 24 days. The next cycle, the AP cycle, which is method two, is going to be 16 days. So then you go, well, okay, what does adaptation prevention mean? So most of you guys have plateaued in the past, I would assume. And plateaus get really, really frustrating. And so there's really only two ways to deal with a plateau. There is um, it, at least as it relates to, to food, but certainly there's an energy component that, you know, you can output a little bit more. But then once again, we're kind of looking at stress response. But not to get too out of the weeds here, um, basically to break a plateau, you either need to go up or you need to go down, right? And most approaches are just going to have you go down. And the reason why they're going to have you go down is because they don't really have a level of control. They don't have an app. They're not checking in on you often, right? There's not a layer of accountability that's going to allow you to understand what's going on. So basically what they're going to default to is kind of get you to the point where you're going to fail, right? Because as a human being, you're naturally going to get hungry and you're going to eat. So through the five years of testing, you know, we've kind of tried things at work. You know, we compare that against the science and that's how we came up with, you know, the adaptation prevention stage. Now, what's interesting about this is all the adaptation prevention phases is a short diet break, right? And diet breaks are, are well known. Um, and we'll get a little bit more into that, you know, when we start talking about method four. But, you know, just know that the much better approach, and I'll talk a little bit about this with method three, the much better approach is actually to add a little food in this scenario. Not an extreme amount of food, but certainly allow the person to have a reprieve in the first 24 days that are maybe a little bit difficult, but not not meant to be super extreme, right? And so if you have been, you know, you came into method two um, with a good bank account, right? Even if your bank account was low, it is going, you know, we won't really start you in a fat loss cycle once you've gone through a you know the baseline plan unless your calories are at a certain point right and so you know we'll allow you to start fat loss you know out the gate because you know we don't know what your calories are and 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 none of the other people one of the interesting things about about what i'm saying there is that there's a lot of people that think that they overeat 
when they actually have some level of resistance because they undereat during the week and they overeat during the weekend, right? And that is not really like a classic overeating scenario, right? In an overeating scenario, if you're weightlifting, you're going to build a little bit of muscle. You know, if you're running, you'll be able to run farther and, and things of this nature. But what a lot of people do, you know, and I would say that this represents a very large percentage of people that end up dieting is they want their weight and they hold it with a, with a you know, a, a tight fist, you know, five days of the week. And then, you know, the wheels come off on the weekend. And so their real calorie average, you know, is actually not all that high. And so, you know, we can address that with the baseline and gradually moving them to a place with calories that's going to be more favorable. And I think the other thing too, kind of, you know, this kind of gets back to method one, but really kind of addresses all of the methods is, you know, think about that person that I was talking about that walked around the block, you know, what's going to happen to that person? It's kind of interesting because, you know, let's say that that person is a deconditioned athlete, really hadn't done anything. And now all of a sudden starts walking around the block once, walking around the block twice starts to jog, this may sound crazy, but your body is actually the biggest resistance tool that you have. So if that person never lifted weights or never did anything, they can actually build muscle in that phase. And so if you were, um, you know, dieting as an example, and you were deconditioned as an athlete, you know, this actually happens a lot with CrossFit, where people get really frustrated that they're working harder than they've ever worked and they're actually gaining muscle, right? They look better in the mirror is all these things that are super positive. You know, this happens with weightlifting as well, of course, you know, where you, you're doing this really super positive thing, but if you only judge your goals by the scale, you, you're not really getting an accurate reflection. So the adaptation prevention stage is fairly simple. It's 16 days and it's meant for your calories to go back up and then you know that allows for the second stage which is typically much more aggressive than the first stage not always sometimes they're roughly the same but in general we we do tend to see a more positive response um, it, it kind of depends on how you view positive right like the way that I view positive is fat loss. You know, in the first stage, you know, let's say that somebody comes in and they were overeating and their sodium's out of control. By the way, that's another thing for low carbers. Um, low carbers not only have fats that tend to be ridiculous, but their sodium tends to be ridiculous because the only way that you can eat all that meat or all that arugula, right, is with olive oil and pepper and salt and so what you often see is that their, um, their sodium tends to be ridiculously high. And so bringing that into, um, you know, into a reasonable level, you know, is, is positive. But in the second stage, we're going to gradually move you up. And let's say that, you know, someone was in the first stage and, and, their 
low day might have been 109 grams of carbohydrates. You know, we're probably going to try and get their low day about 100 grams higher than that, maybe 120. It sort of depends, you know. It, I mean, obviously, when we're talking about putting deposits in the bank, calories are one of those deposits, right? And so it is certainly more favorable if you can get to 120 or 140 grams rather than, let's say, 60 to 70 grams. You're not going to see the amount of result because you just haven't put enough deposits in the bank. And that's just kind of the way that metabolism works. That's why the metaphor is important, right? But the metaphor extends to a lot of things. It extends to, to muscle building, it extends to work capacity, you know, that you want to be putting deposits in the bank much more. And this is why, you know, the, the most important part of any dieting cycle, any fat loss cycle is this. You shouldn't be dieting, right? And so, so you're going to have more success in a fat loss cycle. See, I don't really love the word dieting because I don't feel like even at our lowest that most of our people are dieting. I think that they're, they're eating at the low range of their, their calories. And then, you know, most of the time we're trying to kind of expand whatever their top range is, right? And part of that's based on, and I talked about this in a recent podcast, part of homeostasis is your body's looking for balance. And so you kind of want to test that balance on the high end. So I'll get into that here in just a second. But but in the 16 days, you know, uh, we're trying to get your calories up uh, slightly higher to set up the second range, uh, the second phase. And the second phase, you're, you know, a lot of times you'll end up losing water. I think most people realize that when, when they're dieting and it, and it's kind of interesting because people discount, you know, that water release, but you often need that water release to sort of start mobilizing fat over time. So it, the water release is actually an important part of the process. So in the third phase, we, we've bumped your calories back up again, kind of similar to a lot of other things, except I think we're just better at it than other people because they, they're just not, they're, they don't have the level of accountability that we have. And so it, they can't allow for that, that piece of control. And so virtually any you know RD, virtually any nutritionist, the sports nutritionist, all of them know the value of diet breaks, whether they're small diet breaks or, or longer diet breaks that looks like the way that you should be eating most of the time. So in the third phase, you're probably mobilizing more fat so that we've, that's even for method three um, for eating performers. And once again, you get into the, so in the method one, ETM tags, method two, AP tags, adaptation prevention tags, and then you move back to ETM tags for the second phase of fat loss, which typically does deal with mobilizing more stored bodily fat. Now, a lot of people will say, but I only lost eight pounds in the second phase, and I lost 10 pounds in the first phase. And so wouldn't it stand to reason that I lost more fat? And I would argue that you've lost more water in the first phase and you probably addressed fat loss better 
in the in the second phase. Which, if you're a need performer, you know this. If you're not a need performer, we give you the option. And the reason why we give you the option to go into the second stage or not is because some people do struggle with you know, being in that long of a deficit for that period of time. I mean, it's well known, you know, within clinical research that under eating will affect your, um, and actually not just under eating, but, but eating differently than, than you would want to eat. So some of these things actually do show up in the literature related to low carb dieting as well. And, you know, really, clinical depression, um, you know, other physical things like hair falling out, you know, nails being brittle, things like that, right? So, so you know, that's another strong argument for the way that you should be most of the time is not dieting or not in fat loss, right? So obviously we're spending a lot of time talking about the fat loss phases, but it's interesting once we get into kind of the final stage, that's actually the stage that most eat to performers are at most of the time. And that's where the real magic is. And that's the area that really no one else talks about. And so um, it, there's not a lot to go on there because, you know, it's really how you should eat normally. And so in method three, once again, we're talking about 24 days. So the, the full cycle you know, is, is roughly 64 days, and then you have your reverse cycle, which is method four. And uh, like I said, in method three, you're probably dealing with more fat loss than you are water loss. Not to say that you don't deal with any fat loss in the initial. Um, and I'm going to bring up a really interesting point related to, to method four and five. So the other AP stage is, of course, the, the full reverse. Now, in method four, you're going to be going to normal calories. So this is the part that almost every other program does wrong. So I have an Olympian that she's actually Olympic hopeful, and she was in a, a cutting cycle. And we moved her out of the cutting cycle and I moved her calories up to where I wanted it to be right off the bat. I did not wait for it to slowly go up like we normally do. For those that don't know, each form has an algorithm. That algorithm is called Emma and she slowly releases food based on the parameters that each form coaches set. And it's a great way to do it for, for regular population, but for, for athletes like this, they're not really scared, right? They're, they're hiring you as a coach. They're trusting in you that you know what you're doing. And so I just moved her calories up to where we needed to be for that stage. And not only was it favorable, but actually her weight went down a little bit. In fact, most people encounter that. So from this is interesting for people that are kind of living in fear of calories going up and that they're going to gain weight and stuff like this. Look, the thing that causes people to become obese 
is not 50 additional calories, right? It's overconsumption for many years. And so when you're looking at how your body adapts to things, a lot of times you'll see somebody start at method one and they'll lose a little bit of weight. Then they move to method two. And I would say 75% of people lose anywhere from one to three pounds in that stage, sometimes much more, especially for people that are coming um, from an under-eating background. And so when we get to method three, 24 days, and we move to method four, we can be a little bit more gradual, but in general, gradual is not better. It's actually worse. What we see is that the body adapts to higher calories much faster than anyone else thought, right? And so um, while we are gradual, I'll give you an example. If, you know, I think most of the lowest calories that anybody would be looking at with each form might be somewhere in the neighborhood of 1600 calories. So all the, it's kind of interesting because all of the success stories and, and that would be kind of the lowest of the low, you know, most people are higher than that. So all the success stories that you see for each form, they're kind of not really dieting extremely like other people suggest. And they're still having the success. So when you think to yourself, What's going to allow for a more sustainable approach? Going down to 800 calories or starting from a baseline of 1,600 and then kind of you know, rinsing and repeating that as you're seeing success as you go. I, I would argue that the, the higher approach where you're not dieting the majority of the time is going to be much more successful. I would argue that, well, I'm not going to even argue it. It's, it's, it's fact um, that when you undereat, you're much more susceptible to put on that weight. So that's why people, you know, that that argue for people to be at 800 calories, when they start to, to bring in a few more calories, they bring it in really slow. They don't move it up fast. And that's actually not, not the, the more correct approach, right? Um, and so what ends up happening is that if your calories got as low as 800, 800 calories, and now all of a sudden you're at 1,600 calories, you're sort of panicked because, you know, it. if you gain any weight at all, it's very difficult in that scenario to eat more flexibly, right? Um, and so most people that end up with obesity issues or really struggle from a hormone perspective and things of this nature – They've just kind of made too many withdrawals from that bank account. I know I kind of strayed from the, the metaphor earlier, but they've made too many withdrawals too often, and now the banker won't give them a loan, right? Um, and when we, when we look at how to, you know, if you, if you viewed the loan as kind of expanding your metabolism, that's really what we're talking about when we're trying to kind of, you know, figure out where your, your high-end calories are. But I would say that for most females out there, I'd say a good average is 23 to 2,500. And for most men, 
I would say the average is probably thirty-five to four thousand. Now it depends on the individual. You can, you know, go find a TDE calculator um, and, and find out what that is for you. But even those calculators are wrong because your body is going to adapt to the stimulus that you're putting in front of it, right? And so if you start to eat more, and one of the big benefits of Eat to Perform. And if people were being honest with you, they would tell you that as you eat a little bit more, you know, you know you have to get to the gym that day, right? And not because you need to earn food necessarily, but you know that to build the muscle that we're talking about, you know, you know that you could potentially run into overconsumption issues. And so it does get you off the couch, right? And it does allow you to be more of a human being. I mean, a lot of people will ask me, you know, can I do eat and perform without exercise? And, and I always put it back on them. I was like, why do you want to be less of a human being? Right. And it, it, you know, and they're like, well, I just don't CrossFit or I just don't do anything. Whatever you're doing, being 10% better than that is positive. Right. So I, I could give two fucks about CrossFit or, or anything like that. It's all about what's making you better as a human being, right? So when we talk about uh, the, the, the goals that we're looking at, those are probably the ranges where we're looking at for, for most females. Um, I would say that once we, we get someone into, you know, 300 grams of carbohydrates, usually that's a, a good spot to kind of slowly move them a little bit better. But typically going from, let's say, 209 on a high day to 309 on a high day, uh, most people make that transition in each form. And once again, you know, because they're not extremely withdrawing, you know, their metabolism is still thriving, their exercise is good, their energy is good, their sleep is better, you know. And so it ends up being more favorable for them ad adapting to this without all of the extreme, you know, side effects. You know, one of the things that, you know, a, a common thing, of course, is, is thyroid issues, you know. And it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, there's this preponderance of thyroid issues. And, of course, if you're a doctor, um, you just see a dysfunctional thyroid. But I don't see enough doctors really making the case for, you know, or really asking, how many dieting cycles have you had since you were 12 years old, right? And maybe sort of addressing those types of issues before we start medicating all that stuff. Because I don't think that the good majority of people think of their dysfunctioning thyroid as potentially a dieting issues. And, and if you wanted to to Google it, you could go on a rabbit hole and you're going to find out real quick that there is a very strong relationship both clinically and then anecdotally. So when you look at, you know, all of the hormone issues, you know, a great one for men is testosterone, right? So you're seeing all these, you know, commercials. If you watch any sports, there's the Frank Thomas commercials, which are really weird. Um, and then, you know, there's the Cialis and Viagra. And, and once again, we're not having enough people saying that 
if you're chronically under eating or if you're, you know, I mean, let's be real. There's a lot of people that are over consuming alcohol. And when you look at alcohol, the way that it metabolizes is very similar to fat because it sort of stops, you know, your metabolism until that's processed. Well, what ends up happening in that scenario, you know, for both men and women, but particularly with, with men, is that it can cause chronic testosterone issues. And that's, that's why you see so many erectile dysfunction, <laughs> erectile dysfunction commercials, testosterone issues. Um, there was a number that I was reading about that something in the neighborhood of 3 million men are on testosterone replacement, and that's not even counting the people that, that are doing steroids. So I think, you know, I have not heard much conversation as it relates to undereating. And once again, from a clinical perspective, that information is out there, you know, that the natural state of being is not dieting most of the time. So now we've moved you, we've reversed you out. Using the reverse periods really, really easy. And once again, it's kind of a 16-day period. We can do it a little bit slower for some people because, like, let's say that you know we started you in method one, and your carbs were 129, and then in method two, your carbs ended up being 99 on a low day. You know we're going to be a little bit more cautious with you as things move forward. Not because they wouldn't be better for you to go faster, but for you and your mental health, that's kind of the reasoning there, right? And there's really, you know, we've got to really kind of talk about the death grip that a lot of people have with their weight that actually causes them to make, you know, poor choices. What ends up happening is that people, let's say, lose 15 pounds. And you're reversing them. And in that process of reversing, on any one given day, your, your weight might be at one to two pounds. And if you allow that, you know, that's one of the things that if you're trying to do all of this alone, Without help, you're almost always going to make the wrong decision, right? Because weight should fluctuate, right? If you have a healthy metabolism, your weight is fluctuating up and down. And so um, if you're an eating performer, you know that there's low days, medium days, and high days. Well, for there's low days, medium days, high days, and super days. And all of those exist so that we can kind of deal with some level of water release, some level of plateaus, where we're kind of keeping things where you have the most possible energy in any cycle that you're in, so that work capacity, you know, like I said, even if that work capacity is walking around the block, but for a lot of people, it is weightlifting, it is Orange Theory, it is, you know, CrossFit. Um, but it naturally undulates so that you're dealing with a concept which is referred to as metabolic flexibility, which means that you're, you're pushing things in the most correct way so that your metabolism 
is thriving and not being artificially compromised, right? Whichever process that you're in. So in, in Eterform Method 5, you know, it's kind of interesting because we're looking at developing all these tools to help you guys. And I think there's a lot of people out there that if you did Eterform a year ago, you're probably a lot happier with the experience that you're having today because you know that Eterform Method 1 is 24 days. Eterform Method 2 is 16 days, right? And you can actually count it. You can put it on a calendar and you can know, you know, think about, think about your fat loss cycles when you were doing it alone and you were counting points or counting macros or whatever and you were shooting for some weight goal. We take weight goal out of the picture because what we do is we set up all of these really achievable goals that aren't like your long-term goals. And I would argue that you know, you wanting to lose 100 pounds or losing 50 pounds is the reason why you're gaining 20 pounds, right? Because what, what ends up happening is, is you get really frustrated when your weight goes up one or two pounds when you've lost 15 pounds, and now all of a sudden it's, it's you know, face full of cheesecake time. Coaches will walk you through that with each reform, but it, you know, it's not a system where you're viewing starvation as the answer. You're actually view, you should at least, you know, I know we all have a complicated relationship with food, but the way that you should view your relationship with food is that food is an ally. Food is energy. And if you're consuming energy, that energy output now can be more favorable. Now, once again, you know, if you're a man eating 4,000 calories, you know, testosterone's better, fats are typically higher, all the building blocks that you would need for healthy hormones, for healthy sex life, all these different things. When you're eating 4,000 calories, you know, are, are you going to realize that, you know, getting off the couch is going to be more favorable for you? Sure. Are you going to feel like getting off the couch? Yeah, because you you have this energy bubble, bubbling up inside of you because of all the, the foods that you're eating. Now, we can have a we can have a uh, you know whole foods discussion, but you should know that from an energy perspective and things of this nature, there's high value to more micronutrients. So if a, a male is eating four thousand calories, one of the things I was you know thinking of recently was you know Russell Wilson. Um, you know, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. It was funny because they put out his calories, and they were they were putting out his calories as five thousand, and everybody's like, "Whoa, Russell Wilson eats so much food." I have Olympians, CrossFitters, and teachers that are female that eat more than Russell Wilson, right? Um, but the one thing that I really liked about the Russell Wilson thing was there was a high focus on micronutrients. And I think any sports nutritionist is going to focus on you know, energy density from that standpoint with the other focus, uh, I'm sorry, nutrient density, but with the other focus being energy density where you're getting not only high quality calories, but lots of them, right? And so when you have a good foundation of micronutrients, basically vitamins, 
and a good foundation of calories, meaning amount, you just are naturally more energetic. You naturally want to go to the gym more. You know, I would argue that you should probably do things that are more um, favorable to you. Um, one of the coaches within any form, Mike Milner, just started up uh, um, an inner circle with neurotype training where he kind of gives people a survey and then kind of walks them through the, the types of uh, training that they would probably respond to the best based on you know, the way that their brain is wired, you know, and that's what the questionnaire kind of walks people through. And I think he's probably going to do that once every three months or so, but, you know, ended up, you know, having like 200 people sign up for that, which, um, you know, he's walked me through a little bit, really interesting stuff. You could definitely see that, you know, if as an example, your neurotype was runner, you know, that, that running should represent the majority of, of what you do, you know, knowing that you should probably still lift a few weights, but that running would be the majority. If I was a runner in that scenario, I would go, you know what, like shredded eight pack abs, like a bodybuilder is just not reality for me. And I'm probably going to be okay with that. Right. So trying to work against what your neurotype might be as it relates to what your goals would be would be wrong. It would be silly of me, you know, for my work output and my calories to think that I'm going to look like Phil Heath, you know, the champion bodybuilder, right? That's just not reality based on, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm doing reviews and talking to you guys and making podcasts and, you know, he's spending much more time in the gym because, you know, that's his profession. And so method five is really the non-dieting phase. And the good majority of people within Eat to Perform understand that the non-dieting piece is actually what sets up the periods of, of fat loss, right? And makes those things more effective. Um, so I'm gonna end on, on this note because I, you know, I've probably blown a lot of people out of the water talking specifics. And you know what? Maybe you're just not ready to hear the truth, but the reality is the truth is that most women should be mid twos, most guys should be threes to fours, and that these numbers of 2,000 and 1,200 and stuff like that hurt many more people, right? Most of the issues related to, you know, that, that you're seeing kind of crop up related to, you know, all of this stuff, you know, is directly related to both, you know, the way that our culture changed, went to a service-based society and wasn't industrial or agricultural. But some of that is correlation, right? Because when you drastically undereat, you're not going to feel the energy. You're not going to have the hormones that are going to kind of push you um, and give you know, better muscle responses and things of that nature. So those are things that you have to be thinking about when you start to, like people enter into a, a, you know, a dieting cycle as if it's like this really casual relationship. Like, like most people view their dieting cycles similar to Tinder, right? Where, you know, 
well, I'll just hook up with this thing, you know, and see if it works for a week. And, and they don't view it as this is actually pretty serious business. I could be doing some really serious damage. Now, you know, a lot of people would say, well, they might be doing really serious damage consuming, you know, mostly processed foods, high calories, energy dense. I'm fine with that argument, right? But I would argue that it's probably smarter for that person to clean that up a little bit while starting to move a little bit better because that's going to be favorable as, as it relates to all the deposits that I talked about earlier with the bank metaphor. And so that's what, that's what method five is. Method five is your 401k. Method five is, is your lifetime savings, right? Method five is the eat perform secret. It's getting to kind of this promised land where the good majority of your life, you're doing awesome shit, right? And you're becoming the human being that you were supposed to become all along, right? I mean, as much as I love my job, my main thing that I'm supposed to be is a husband and a father and, and you know, a uncle and, and, you know, a mentor and a physical person doing awesome things outside. And, and it's, it's hard to, to do that when you're always looking as less as the, as the solution. When you see food as the enemy, you're naturally compromising all the other things that I just talked about. Like think about all the people that have dieted listening to this, right? You don't think your kids have noticed? Because I bet they've said one or two other things, oh, mommy doesn't eat that, right? Or there's all these rules that aren't really helping the equation and I would argue that they're actually harming people much more than they're helping. So what method five is, you know, is we're setting your calories and really kind of pushing who you are as an individual. And then if you decide at that point, you know, I mean, if you think about, let's say a male at 4,000 calories, who's lifting weights, staying weight stable, he's almost certainly replacing fat with muscle in that process. Now it might not be acute and he might then want to go back to method one, right? And, and kind of rinse and repeat that a little bit, but that's a much better approach. Now, once again, it's not the pull the bandaid off all at once approach, right? I'm 350 pounds. I want to be at 200 pounds and, you know, basically take the nuclear bomb approach and, and just do a million hours of cardio and, and eat as little as possible, almost no one makes it that way, right? We see routinely that the people that are holding on to muscle, that the people that are eating a, a regular amount of food, I mean, think about diet adherence, right? That's a big word in the health and fitness world. You think your diet adherence would be a lot easier if you were a male and you were seeing weight loss at 2,700 calories because you're eating 4,000 calories? Or as a female, you know, eating 1,900 calories because you started off at 2,700 calories? 
right? And I know a lot of people listening to this are scared shitless that they can't eat like that. I'm just saying to you as a human being, as someone who has seen literally tens and hundreds of thousands of, of food logs and things of this nature, you can. You, it's just your fear that's sort of holding you back from a lot of that stuff. Now, certainly there's always degrees and you're going to hear the you know, 60-year-old ladies saying, you know, well, what about menopause and things of this nature? I can show you menopausal athletes that are 67 years old that are currently eating 3,800 calories as a female, right? So we have to stop with the preconceived notions that the less is more, less is not more, less is less, and it's awful and it doesn't work for you, right? It doesn't work for the most people and and. It's really that kind of perfection, you know, uh, if I could just get to here, I'll be perfect and I'll be happy. You can be happy now, and if you're happy now, it's going to allow you to be much better. But, but I can tell you for fact that I can model your weight loss, like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, when you go to an online calculator, they don't know what you're eating. Do you think because I know what you're eating that I can model your actual weight loss a lot better? Absolutely I can, right? And so that's why, you know, going from that model where we're knowing what you're eating and we're managing that is a much better approach, you know, than just trying to kind of catch it in, in the middle and then just going as low as possible just because, you know, if you go as low as possible, you're probably underneath wherever they're eating at that moment, right? Um, last thing that really should talk about that I think is really important, we have covered it a little bit, but I want to really emphasize it. When you go through the 64-day dieting cycle, I'm not saying that we would never allow anyone to go into fat loss that isn't doesn't do 64 days, but I am going to fully say to you, that we are developing that tool right now that, you know, when you look at a dieting cycle and the success of the next dieting cycle, it has to be at least as long, the period where you don't diet has to be at least as long as the period where you did diet, right? And that's something that we've been a champion of for all five years that we've been on that you should be not dieting much more than you're dieting, but if we're looking at the minimum of when you can start another fat loss cycle, it would absolutely be at least as long. And then when you look at the amount of calories that you work up to, that also matters, right? So if you're coming from a very restrictive way of eating and your calories got as low as, you know, seven, 800 calories and there's a lot of people that, that listen to these numbers and, and they think that they're absurd. That is very common in the dieting world for um, people to be eating that low, especially in kind of what I would refer to as kind of the ignorant approach where people are making these judgments based on macros without a full understanding of the harm that they're doing in that instance. And so... If you, you know, were eating seven, eight hundred calories, 
and then you move to 1600 calories and then after 64 days you go okay i'm ready for another 7 to 800 calorie diet you are almost certainly going to be in rinse and repeat mode and almost certainly that's going to be a formula that's going to land you with more fat and not less when we see so what we do is obviously managing you know, both the, the periods where people are not dieting, but also the periods where they're eating at a deficit. That's what I would refer to what we do. We're using the deficits that we've created. We're using the money that was put into the bank. We're using, you know, we're creating a life of healthy doing, a life of healthy eating. Um, and so, so that would be kind of the last thing that I say as it relates to when you can do another dieting cycle. And and look, I get it. You know, I mean, I, I'm someone that, that lost 100 pounds. I went from, you know, high 40, 40th percentile to 9% body fat. But I did it this way. I did it the way that I'm describing to you guys because it's really the only way that's the most effective, right? And, you know, people used to ask me all the time, you know, what would you do differently? And they were always surprised when I said, I would do it slower. And the reason why is because I probably blew through a lot of muscle. And if you look at my pictures, you know, what you see is someone that, you know, really could have used a little bit more resistance training at a certain point, hold on to muscle. And then, you know, it was roughly about a two year process where I went from mid 40, mid 40 to high 40 to, to 9%. If I had taken five years and held on to more muscle, I wouldn't have had to build the muscle later on, which is a lot harder to do, by the way. It's much easier to hold on to muscle that you have than to regain muscle that you've lost. All right. So I think that that is a good place to end. I was kind of expecting that maybe this might take 30 minutes. And of course, I'm long-winded. But I hope this was helpful to you guys. And allows you to have kind of a, a thought process. You know, I think a lot of people out there can relate to the fact that their bank account is low in real life and then their metabolic bank account is real low. And if they look back and thought to it and thought, you know what would be real nice? If I started saving when I was you know, 18 years old, how much money would I have now? The way that you eat and the things that you do is no different than that, right? If the thought process is to live a more full life, food should really be a big part of that. And doing, of course, is just a natural byproduct. All right. Have a great weekend. I hope you guys listened all the way to the end. I think we had a lot of good content in here, and we'll talk to you later. Bye now.